0: Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. This episode is entitled The Epidemiologist's Role in Moving Us from Crisis to Calm as you we're all living in a, in a state of crisis and state of panic and we we're often overwhelmed at times so i thought this was an appropriate way to start our health solutions series and i didn't have to look very far cuz our guest tonight i've known her all her life my <laughs> sister <laughs> but she's also an epidemiologist and i welcome you to the show melissa thank you for having me great having you as my first guest on fostering solutions it is an honor so tell us about yourself who is melissa micklehope
1: okay well um, i guess i'm a Guyanese brooklynite mom um making some moves in public health and you know having a great time doing it um, I was able to get into the field of public health um, when I studied at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, um, and then moved back to New York City from where I grew up, um, and I've been working in the field ever since. So it's been around
0: uh, 17 years. It's a long time. Time flies. Yeah. So you went to school in, in, at the University of Michigan. They have a pretty good public health school, don't they? Yeah. Top, top five, top threes. Okay. Wonderful. So how did you choose your career? How did you choose epidemiology and public health?
1: Well, in undergrad, I was studying at University of Richmond, um, and I was a bio major, and I was pre-med for a while. And then I was, I went to a summer research program at the University of Minnesota. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I've been all over the place. So I went to the University of Minnesota, spent a summer there. And during that internship, we were able to be exposed to many different career paths. And we met with, you know, University of Minnesota is a huge school. So um, I was working in the a bio lab, but then we went, we had, meetings at public health and they did an info session and they told us about the program and I realized that um, I was very interested in it because I was a bio major but I also minored in anthropology so it was a fusion of um, the biological sciences and you know learning about people and their environments and um, how culture plays into health so all of those things kind of fit um so after that it was kind of like a light bulb so i came back excited to apply to public health school and the rest is history
0: okay wonderful
1: so it was pretty easy it was a pretty easy once i figured out um
0: what interests me then it was clear what i wanted to to pursue wonderful so we're talking about public health public health has been in you know the public health field has been in the news, you know, more than ever before, and um, we hear a lot of different careers in public health. You are, you are an epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. So what? Tell us what define epidemiology. What is that all about?
1: Epidemiology is defined as a study of diseases and their determinants in specific populations. So, any population any disease um, and any factors risk factors that contribute to the disease um is what we study in epidemiology
0: okay so i'm i'm, I'm assuming there there's a wide range of specializations in terms even within epidemiology mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a part of public health and we've got you know um what are some of the other ologies there's is it micros microbiology also part of public health or not really? What are some um, other? What are some other public uh, health
1: careers? Public health careers is a lot of data science, um, biostatistics. In terms of public health, even like environmental science is part of public health, right? So you have to make yeah. sure you're getting clean water, um, clean air. All of those things contribute to health. So. Um, there's actually even molecular hospital, molecular epidemiology. So there's even epidemiology and um, microbial, vi- you know, virology. Okay. Especially in this, area, in this Corona COVID. Yeah, you're hearing that,
0: that, that
1: career lot. Yeah. virology. Right. Virology. So yeah. So all of those make up public health and it all goes into what impacts people and how it, what impacts the health of people. So, um, you know, public health, I was reading something that you don't hear about it until something goes wrong. <laughs> right. But um, you have to kind of understand it's always going on, you know, in the background, we're always tr- tracking trends, and we're always looking for spikes and changes and trends. And um, all our data is a really data heavy focus data impacts change in the community. So um, something may happen on a, on a federal level in terms of the public health data and it trickles down to communities all over the country.
0: So I, I've heard along the way this, about the social determinants of health. Is mm-hmm. that um, an area? That's social epidemiology. <laughs> social opinion, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, kind of, that's connected. You, you have a similar um, set of determinants that you track and monitor in mm-hmm. communities. So the social epidemiology would, in how it refers to COVID-19
1: would be the, when everyone's saying that the pandemic is affecting the black community so much worse than um, the other communities because of the social determinants of health, because you know they have, um, they live in environments where they're more prone to get asthma. Um, they live in food deserts, they live in, um, areas with a lot of pollution which may weaken their lungs and you know um and may not have a great diet which may lead to hypertension because they don't have money to spend for food so all those things are the social determinants of health and um a social epidemiologist
0: may study those things as well okay interesting interesting so tell us about the area of epidemiology in which you work I actually work um, in, in vaccines and immunolo- in, me, immunization
1: program. Um, so focusing on vaccines to delivery to underserved populations and um, focusing on immunization registries, which are databases that house immunization information
0: across the lifespan. So before COVID-19 showed up, mm. what were some of the diseases that you were concerned about immunizing people against? Measles. <laughs> measles. Okay. Uh, in New York City. So tell us about that. What was that like trying to get that under control? <sighs> Who knew me- measles were going to come back? We all had them when we were little, I thought.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy currently in, in the country. Yeah, the
0: Vaccine, is- what did you say? Hesit- hesitancy. Hesitancy. Okay. That's the anti-vaxxers that you you hear about, yeah. So whenever you hear these
1: um, areas of measles outbreaks, they're among vaccine-hesitant communities. So these communities are not not fully immunized. The kids are not fully immunized. um, So they're making the community more susceptible to the outbreak. So um, across the country, the last few years, you've been seeing these um, outbreaks of measles, and that's why.
0: Okay. So a lot of
1: time. The whole of 2019 really was focused on the you know, measles outbreaks in New York, and then we get hit with COVID. So, so the measles are under control now. The measles not going, not I mean, the problem. Let me tell you. The problem is, we say that, but because of COVID 19, a lot of hospital, doctors' offices are closed. A lot of children not getting fully vaccinated. Mm. So we're crossing our fingers and hoping that we're not going to get another outbreak of some sort because children have been missing their um, vaccination visits. So that's a that's really on
0: on our mind currently. Yeah, because kids are doing pretty pretty good in terms of um, COVID nineteen. It's for some reason they're not as as affected. So yeah, we but certainly don't want them to get anything else. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. the problem. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So what's it like being even so you're working on measles? I know we are not at the point of a a covid nineteen vaccine, but what is it like being in the mid- being an epidemiologist in the epicenter of the current pandemic what is that what is that like
1: well um the, the my colleagues are a lot of my colleagues are focused on the Um, response but the response at this point is more of a hospital-based response you know because they do have to track data and um, you know every time everybody gets the data numbers of deaths and hospitalizations and we have to track those Mm -hmm. as well Um, but you know the main thing is being fought in the hospitals like currently so our role comes in after that to make sure that once we get to a standard a, a static state to keep us there. So that's where public health would come in to terms um in terms of after the response to keep um another outbreak from happening. Additionally, I'm focused on the vaccine's not ready, but we have to prepare for the vaccine once it is available. The president is pushing a vaccine, hoping to get it out in January. So that's tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah, we have yeah. to prepare for that. Um yeah. so that takes up a lot of my
0: time. So it seems like even January seems like because at one point I thought we were hearing like 18 months. So mm-hmm. it could be as soon as January. That's yeah. what you're hearing, yeah. Yeah. So um and we're all looking forward to that because we all want to be safe. So what is that process, the vaccine development process like? How do we go from um, dealing with a, a, a novel virus. Once we have it identified, this is something totally new to get to the point of executing an, immu- an immunization program. Like, what is that process like? Well,
1: coronavirus is an, a novel strain, but remember
0: that... I guess 19, the one that
1: we... That, 19 is new, yeah. but coronavirus has been here. And
0: right, I did, yes. So I did. there
1: was some, a little bit of um, development Mostly focused around SARS when when there was a SARS outbreak. So, a lot of vaccine development is taking it off, taking data and research from that SARS, um, and and going forward with vaccines. There are a lot of vaccine products, a lot of trials going on um, around the country. Um, I think there are around two uh, United States based trials. Um, the trials have usually taken around five years, but because of the pandemic, they've been um um. Name, yeah, I forgot the name, the, the, the president used. Um, but uh, there's around three phases. So each phase has been um, truncated for um, this pandemic. So there are a lot of different ways uh, vaccines are made. It can be um, live virus vaccines, um, vaccines that use um protein structures there's so there's many different options and like i said there's i think quite a few products um under consideration right now but um so depending on the type of vaccine would determine the the specific methodology for each phase but it comes through around three phases Um, and of course each part of that is focused on safety Um, safety is the number one priority and then after safety you're looking at efficacy how effective is it at preventing disease Um, so those are the the two main focuses on on the vaccine trial
0: so I guess what who decides or what decides what type um, if it's a live if it's the live virus or the protein or like like what 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 guides that decision just all the research um,
1: research and then the vaccine companies determine which which way they path they want to take based on research and viability and, and then they go forward
0: okay so what what is it about vaccines that uh, I guess anti-vaxxers are are concerned about what what is it about is it because you're introducing a live virus? Like, what is it? What do the vaccine hesitant communities, what is their concern? What is their fear? What is it usually that you hear from them? I
1: think they may say that they don't want a live virus, but I really believe it boils down to people don't want to be told what to do. It They don't want the government to tell them what to do. What to do, so yeah, yeah. So... I, from my experience, um, that's the main, the main focus of, you know, that's everyone, some some folks may think there's some sort of a government plot to inject them with something, you know, some mm-hmm. unknown entity. Um, but by and large, that's what the main focus is on the resistant, resisting government intervention in their lives. Somebody telling them what, what to do with their body. Yeah. With their bodies, with
0: their children's bodies, that kind of thing. As As we look forward to a vaccine, as we look forward to a COVID-19 vaccine, mm-hmm. what hurdles can be expected along the way, making the process, getting, getting, what is it, I think you used the term static, mm. getting, like what hurdles would, do you know, do you, as, as an as an epidemiologist, how, what hurdles do you know you'll have to, um, you'll run into and will, will need to overcome getting an effective and efficient COVID-19 vaccination program?
1: Again, you want to just generally make sure that the park is safe. effective um we have to figure out if it's going to be a one dose vaccine or two dose vaccine um if it's a multi-dose vaccine that's going to be a challenge because you have to bring people back so Mm -hmm. it's always a problem when you have to do that one you know one dose vaccine is is, it's more it's easier to get compliance once you get multiple doses as people just never come back or you have to track them or that's a hurdle Um, when the vaccine is released it uh, may not be a a large quantity so you have to figure out what is what are the priority groups we're looking at Um, are we looking at the first set of vaccines to be given to healthcare workers um adult of what age group um you know um, how many doses can each state expect to get you know it may you know may not have enough so um those are all challenges how quickly can we get it to to providers um what mechanism what if people don't have healthcare providers do we give them to the pharmacies do we have community-based immunization events um to distribute the vaccine um so all those are the things that we're, we're focused on, um, making sure that it's equitable um, distribution of vaccine. So those are, those are the challenges that we're faced now.
0: Yeah, because it, it may, I guess, come to the point, come to a, a, a way of distribution that's similar to the flu vaccine, where you can get it. Like during mm-hmm. during the fall, you can get it from your drugstores, from your doctor, from community events. So mm-hmm. so those are all the things that you all are, are considering right now. Mm-hmm. But that's based on how much vaccine we will have available. And like you said, who would be grouped to get it in, in the first phase? Initially. Yeah, hopefully we don't have states competing the way they're competing for PPE now. That's just that'll be that'll be so sad, my goodness what would the world be like without people like you working in epidemiology
1: well remember when we first heard about the coronavirus and people thought oh it'll just disappear and it'll go away and it's a it's a, um fake news you know that kind of attitude where nothing happened and um things were left to for a while before there was a response so um it may be a world like that or it may be a world where you know people groups of people may are dying and we're not sure why and you know we have no way of um having interventions in it because we don't have data to support interventions or we don't have data to catch trends of disease within our community um so we can act on those trends so um it would be a sick, more of a sick society.
0: And just people probably just keeling over and you don't know, what, you don't you know. Just what,
1: don't they why. You just don't and know
0: life, low life expectancy and mm-hmm. on and on and on. Yeah. We don't want a world like that. Even
1: um, poor, you know, birth outcomes and um, women dying of childbirth and babies dying of childbirth because you just, you know, you don't know
0: why. Yeah and then of, of course people who are poor and people of color are going to be at the short end of it all and probably you know and and really kind of being affected the most yeah right so thinking along those lines we we certainly need a lot more it it I would assume a lot more public health officials um professionals because um, right now we have significant demands being placed on health departments, for example, and yeah. various um, public health professionals. So what would you say to students who may be out there, maybe contemplating a career in public health, or maybe don't know what to do, but may like biology like you do, you did, that what would you say to students about um, a public health career?
1: Oh, I think it's a great time to come on board. Um, like you said, we've been in the news a lot. So it has helped the government see what happens when there is not a strong public health infrastructure. Before Trump, there you know we had pandemic planning groups um, that were dismantled when Trump came into the office. So we were not prepared for this pandemic. Um, so hopefully um, the government realized how important it is to build up infrastructure, which means um, improving um, funding to the states, um, which would lead to an increased public health workforce. So um, we're seeing a lot of that now. They're hiring people to respond to this pandemic in terms of contact tracers. They're going to be hiring thousands of people to help track. Patients that were exposed to COVID nineteen and make sure they're not interacting with the public. Um, And there are a lot, a lot more funding opportunities now, um, post post Corona in the government governmental sector. So it's a really
0: great time um, to be in the field. Okay, wonderful. So those of you who are listening out there, and you've got you're you're maybe in college and you're looking trying to figure out what to do, public health seems like the way to go. Yeah, Their parents, you you may want to guide your guide your students in that direction as well. It seems like a very not only interesting but but it could be fulfilling as you come up with um, new vaccines and get people immunized and you, you understand what's what's really um, causing illnesses and on and on and on. So this this is definitely a career that um, is that's worth pursuing. So when you look at your look at your life your mom your a wife your a sister mm-hmm. <laughs> an aunt <laughs> how do you achieve career life balance it's a lot i'm sure it's a you know a lot going on how do you achieve how do you achieve career life balance and is it hard to do and what what's your experience been um
1: well Outside of an emergency, but there seems to be a lot of emergencies, but apart from the emergencies it's it's pretty manageable um, I do travel quite a bit for work, so you know that is probably the biggest challenge in making sure the kids are taken care of or picked up from school um and all that to to coordinate with my husband's schedule so um I think that's the biggest challenge, just um preparing for emergencies, dealing with emergencies and travel. But generally, um, my schedule is pretty, you know, nine to five, um, usually.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: emergencies that happen right.
0: <laughs> in New York. <laughs> you have to react when those come up. Yeah, when those come up. So, so what so. has um, homeschooling, teaching the kids at home and working from home and how, 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 how has that been?
1: that's definitely the hardest part of the pandemic honestly because you know i'm not a teacher and i don't have the patience of a teacher and and there's a lot of work which is i mean i think the the teachers are trying to make sure the kids learn so they give them a lot of work so to keep up with that work is definitely a job so i definitely have like three jobs currently
0: (laughs) hearing a lot of that from parents
1: definite hardest part of the outbreak
0: yeah so kind of like thinking ahead, five, ten years down the road, how do you see the public health sector changing five, ten years down the road i
1: I believe the infrastructure will continue to grow because the need there is a need um for that, and um even if you know the current government is not happy with w h o the world health organization so if that's or not taking their lead, we will need to develop um, our public health infrastructure even more um, to deal with emergencies as they come about. So I do, I feel like this, the COVID-19 pandemic is going to lead to structural change um, in the field of public health. I really do believe that. Um, and I think we're ready for that and we'll be ready to, to answer the call for the future.
0: Hopefully it'll be in 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 another hundred years when we're all. <laughs> yeah. But
1: little things are going to, you know, little things, little outbreaks are going to continue to happen. So That's hopefully not, not on this level, but multi-state outbreaks. So of all kinds of things is definitely possible.
0: And you all are, are preparing for all that. All of that, all the time, all the time. Wow. wow. Any parting words? We've come to the end of the interview. Any parting words? For the um, time. wash your hands <laughs> <laughs> 20 wash wash your hands, wash your hands 20 is it 20 seconds
1: see so ya yeah, stay six feet apart from everyone um, <laughs> and just take care of not only your um, hygiene but your mental health as well which is another part of public health as well M- making sure you're mentally um, cared for, and you practice mental um, health, self-care, and compassion as well.
0: Okay. Checking your neighbors and your family, right? Yep. yep, yep right. Thank you so much for joining me, Melissa. This has been a very uh, insightful interview. I've learned a lot. And, Thanks for having uh, me. Thank you for being my first guest. I look forward to Hearing more about your career, and and I can't wait for that vaccine (laughs) to be developed developed and to be uh, on the market so that we can all feel a lot safer. Right, for sure. Thank you so much. This has been the first episode in the Health Solutions series of Fostering Solutions. Thank you for joining me. I am looking forward to the next episode in the health Solutions series of fostering solutions my guest will be dr jeffrey cousins his topic will be taking control of our well-being i look forward to having you join me until next time be blessed